It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. We are back with draft expert of the Strickland Prez. Alex, you described him at one point in the episode of the Grand Poobah of the Grant Riller fan club, a man of many titles who is deserving of all of them. Prez is breaking down our picks in the Locked On NBA mock draft. And Alex, thanks to your maneuvering, we, we had a couple of them for Prez to go over. Yeah, so we were not done making moves in the last episode. Uh, last episode, we we traded back with the hated Celtics, took all three of their first-round picks, uh, pick 14, 26, and 30, which gave us a grand total of five picks. We made that first selection at the end of last episode, uh, picking Kyra Lewis, who we were amazed made it to us to pick 14. And we picked things up in this episode by immediately hitting the phones, quote-unquote, a.k.a. the emails, and pestering every team from 15 to 20 to try to find a trade partner. We did find another trade partner. It was another division rival, and uh, we made a trade that we were actually quite happy with. Wound up walking away from this second half of the first round with two players that we really love. So tune in next on Locked on Knicks, and we will get into what two players and what trade we made. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. So the next couple picks, I actually think we're all pretty good. Orlando gets RJ Hampton, Portland, Josh Green, pretty perfect fit. Minnesota takes a shot on Poku. Um, I thought, see, that was one that I actually thought was a little questionable. I don't know. Yeah, him and Cat together is like... Well, and you're (laughs) drafting him and LaMelo, like, on a team that's supposedly trying to win now next year? Like, Think about about that offense. LaMelo, D'Lo, Poku, and Cat. That's like, that's pretty fun, if nothing else. Yeah, it could be fun, but, I mean, Poku might not be ready to contribute to, like, a real playoff team for, like, two years, at least. They're Um, not going to help them in the playoffs. That's the thing. Like, they're just not. Yeah. I mean, they could pick somebody more boring at 17, like Bain or, you know, any number of guys, even Cole Anthony. But, like, like really, like, somebody like that is the best you can hope for in the playoffs is they can space the floor and not get super confused as a rookie on defense. And that's about it. And then, obviously, whoever they get at number one is not really going to move the needle in the in the freaking western conference at least like there's i mean they might they might help them 
win a game, but these guys might help them lose a game too. So like, yeah. like I, Lamelo's I, not gonna Lamelo's not gonna move the needle in a Zion or John Morant way. Yeah, I was just gonna throw out there. I don't think Minnesota's making the playoffs no matter who they draft. So that's that's the only reason I was saying like it could. I think like maybe you you microwave that team in like in four years. That's it's kind of interesting at least on offense. Yes, exactly. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I guess it depends on what. I guess it depends on what uh, other other friend of the show who's come on. We a lot of guys that were in this draft came on to tell us about coaching candidates uh, during during the Knicks coaching search. Uh, ben Beacon out of uh, uh, Locked on Timberwolves. I mean, I guess it all depends on what his vision is. But I, I think maybe he just went for the the best combination of upside and and raw talent. I guess more so than I like. I probably would have. At seventeen, I probably would have like like Prejudice said, I, I might have gone Bane. I mean, just because I think the the stated goal it seems like of the Timberwolves as a way to try to keep Cat happy is that they want to try to win as soon as like next year, which is why they're even entertaining trading the number one pick. You know, I think if I if I was making that pick, I would try to get someone like Bane there, and then maybe later on, you know, in the offseason, you try to trade Lamelo or something in a package for a, a bigger star, but you hold on to Bane as you hope can contribute for this playoff team you're trying to build, but I guess we'll say anyway. Um, yeah, but it's, so the next, uh, I guess, should we, I'll, I'll announce the other trade. I didn't really, yeah, I mean, this doesn't really affect us too much. Well, actually, it sort of did. You know what? This trade did affect us a little bit, because, right? From pick... From the time that we made our 14th pick, where we were like jumping for joy that Kyra fell to us, uh, I was like, "All right, now I gotta try to get us back into the top 20 because now we have the ammo. Like, because now we have, we still had pick 26, 27, 30, and 38 overall. So we had four picks left still, three in the top 30. And I'm like, some team will bite, some team will want two shots. Like, probably a playoff team, you know, based off the fact that there was a decent amount of shooting uh, available in the you know, the, like, mid to late 20s of this, you know, mock draft and the real-life draft. But, you know, maybe with limited upside, but definitely shooting. Uh, I figured that there might be a team that would want to take two shots, probably pick 26 and 27. And so I started throwing that offer out there. So I threw it to Orlando. He actually did uh, uh, look it over for a minute and then ultimately said, no, uh, Philip uh, Rossman Reich is his name, the Magic uh, host. He took a look and ultimately decided against uh, Portland. I'm I'm blanking on their host's name. I threw it to him, and he was like, no shot. I don't want to trade at all. I just want to keep my pick. Took Josh Green. All right, fine, fair enough. Ran up by Minnesota with a straight face. Ben Beacon offered me the 17th pick. Prez, I need I need your, your instant reaction to this. Right after I get done, give your instant reaction to this. Right? Wait, this is for which? For which? For pick seventeen that we just announced that turned into Poku. No, no, but what? Who are they offering? Who are they asking? What are they asking y'all to give? Well, that's what I'm about to say. Okay, so, you ready? Actually, you know, what? I'm gonna pull it up in my email right now, just so I make sure I don't misrepresent it. Hold on, because I, I opened that up just so I could check back on my on my dealings. Uh, he said, I would consider moving 2021 pick. He said maybe number 26 and the Knicks 2021 pick for number 17. Wait, what? <laughs> right? How does that even work mathematically? Like, there's there's almost no chance the Knicks, even in the wildest 
Kenny Payne, Johnny Bryant development fever dream end up good enough to to pick 17th? That is exactly what I said to him. I said, there's no way that that pick is going to be less than a top 10 pick next year. And it's a way better draft. I was like, basically, man, it's the only thing I'm offering you is out of this draft. You can consider anything next year and beyond to be off the table. I was like, I wouldn't even trade you the Dallas pick, the Dallas 2023 pick for this. And he's like, all right, I'm good. I'm like, yeah, damn right you're good. I'm not doing that to you. <laughs> Just take Poku, you're, who basically is a 2021 lottery pick. If you think about his age, he's literally like the same age as all the lottery picks next year anyway. So like as the youngest guy in this draft. So like, yeah. just, just relax, guy. Like, come yeah. on. Come yeah. on. That was, Ben was, Ben was wild. And I like, I like Ben, but he was, as we said in our Strickland uh, mock draft roundtable, that'll be dropping soon. Uh, he was off the henny with that one. He was. I, res- I respect the audacity, though. You, yeah. yeah I, 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 look, of... look, if he if he pulls it off, no one would be saying anything bad about him. They'd be saying, "Great deal, Ben. Good job." They'd be saying that the that he, shots you don't take. Dude, we would we would get shit on for the rest of time. Quite frankly, like for that deal, that's that that would not like. They would be setting up the mock draft for next year, and they'd be like, "We don't care what the real life Knicks did. Like, you guys have to hold your off last year <laughs> and give up your pick to to the Timberwolves for this year." No, there was no way in hell I was ever going to do that. So that was funny. Sorry to roast roast uh, Ben off uh, uh, locked on Timberwolves. If you're listening, we still love you, Ben, and we hope to have you back. <laughs> but. The NBA draft is finally here, and the Locked On Podcast Network will have live draft coverage this year on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch at Locked On Live. It will be the only place you can find Chad Ford, the GOAT of draft analysis, on the night of the draft. Join Chad, Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks, and David Locke for the most in-depth coverage of the NBA draft, featuring analysis from Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated, and an appearance from Gavin and I as well, if you're looking to hear from us uh, live during the draft. Follow Locked On Live on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, and get alerts as soon as they go live. And just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. And if you can believe it, the new and improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. That's because they have 18 amazing flavors, including six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They also have 12 original flavors that you loved from before, like raspberry, peanut butter, banana bread, salted caramel, orange, and toffee almond. Toffee almond certainly is one of my favorite Built Bar flavors. All Built Bars are covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew, have sort of a like a thick nougat texture or like a like a sort of caramely sort of texture and all in all make you really feel like you're eating a candy bar the good thing though is that you don't get all that guilt that comes with eating a candy bar because built bars are good for you they are low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber for example the peanut butter bar has 19 grams of protein just 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And if you go with one of the nut-free bars, like Cookies and Cream, which, by the way, are prepared in nut-free facilities, that has 17 grams of protein compared to only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. You will not find a protein bar that 
is going to first off give you the flavor of built bars and the you know not taste like a chocolate covered piece of sidewalk chalk but then on top of that you're not going to find another bar that gives you just that pure protein boost without all the sugar and crap that you don't need so if you're interested in picking up some built bars go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get 20 percent off your next order Again, use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We moved to pick 18. I was pushing with Dallas to try to get them to trade back, but they were they found some other offer, which they ultimately ended up making. Uh, they traded DeLon Wright and number 18 to uh, Locked On Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got that right. So the, the Mavs traded DeLon Ray in 18 to the Thunder uh, for Schroeder and 25. So the Mavs moved back and swapped uh, DeLon Wright for Dennis Schroeder. So good for them. Dennis Schroeder can take the ball out of Doncic's like hands, that. which is clearly exactly what you want to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like it in the sense that, like, you they need another playmaker to diversify their offense. They don't have that in the playoffs. They don't need it in the regular season. But yeah. And it doesn't, like, that's their, that's a big issue for them, but it's not the big issue for them. The big issue is their asset defense. And Schroeder's not, not helping you at, at all on that. No, not in the slightest. So however you want to feel about that trade, I thought it was a good one for Oklahoma City, uh, especially because of who yeah. they took, which – uh, they went Tyrell Terry at pick 18. So that was that was good on them, I thought. I thought that was a good trade for them. Uh, but then, so then came up pick 19. Now, I was knocking on the doors of <laughs> of Brooklyn, Miami. I mean, I, the way I put it in our little segment that we did for, uh, for the, the big show, for the Locked On NBA show was, you know, I, I say that I, you know, I talked to all these guys, but really I was just pestering everybody. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get someone to make a trade with me. Uh, ultimately, I finally got a bite off the new uh, Locked On Nets host, which it's Adam uh, Albrecht, I believe I'm, I'm saying his name right. I haven't heard Ar- him say that. Armbrecht. Armbrecht, sorry, yes. Arm, A-R-M, yeah. Armbrecht, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just totally, hey, Adam, it's good to, yeah. good to mispronounce he's your actually, name. He's actually a huge fan of Locked On Knicks, so this is going to break his heart. But, oh damn it! Did I really just do that? All right, well, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, well, now I feel like shit. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, I, I'm talking with him, and first I was like, you know, I did the pleasantries, you know, warmed him up. I said, hey, welcome to the network. You know, it's so good to you know meet you. Blah blah blah. I can't wait to talk shit for a number of years with you. Blah blah. It's cool. It's cool. And then, yo, you want to trade? And he's like, okay. Uh, you know, I, I may be into it. Like, I definitely, I'm, I'm interested in moving back. I'm like, word. All right, this is perfect. Because Gavin and I, at that point, were thoroughly zeroed in on wanting to trade up to get Bane because we were pretty well convinced he wouldn't have made it to 26 
I feel really confident in saying he definitely wouldn't have. He wouldn't yeah, have made it like past probably Philly. Utah grabs him for sure. Or yeah, or Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Philly or Utah definitely would have taken Bain. So we had to move up to get him. And so and we had the surplus of assets now. So Gavin and I talked a lot over this one because we were going back and forth a little bit with Adam. And uh and so I uh I first off from like, all right, how about twenty six and twenty seven? And he's like or that, I might have even thrown 38 in there right away. I think I was trying to talk him into 26, 27 in Bullock at first. And he was like, nah, I don't really want Bullock. And I'm like, ah, nobody wants Bullock, apparently. What the hell is wrong with you people? Uh, but anyway, so then, uh, you know, we start going back and forth. And I, I come to, all right, I'll do 26, 27, and 38 for 19. Which I think is pretty generous, right? Yeah, if, and, and here's the thing: it's it's pretty easy to trade 38 when we only do one round of the mock draft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so whatever it is, but so he goes, well, I want. How about 26, 27, and 30? And I'm like, that seems a little rich for my blood. Like that's three. I mean, no matter what you say about him, that's three stabs at the end of the first round to move up. You know, you had to fake walk away from the table. <laughs> well, so I did, right? But the biggest problem. With him, and, and I'm not going to roast him too hard, but he tipped his hand a little bit, and he goes, yeah, Utah is offering me uh, pick 23 and a pick swap next year. And I'm like, all right, so you can get three picks off of me that are only, you know, the first one of which is only three spots after Utah's pick, and a, a 2021 pick swap is going to change your mind when both your teams probably figure to finish within two draft spots of each other next year. And so I, I held strong because then, then I talked to Gavin. I go, Gavin, what do we do? You think I should, should I accept? Should I, should I uh, uh, try a different maneuver? Should I literally just say like, take it or leave it? And he was like, you know what? Like, I think the two, the three first round picks is too much. Let's, let's give him a take it or leave it. And so we did it. And we, I said, you know what? Now nah, final offer 26, 27, 38. That's it. And he goes, okay, fine, I'll take it. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right, because I know that my deal was better than that other stupid deal. Uh, so we get pick 19, and who do we take but Desmond Bain? So now it's <laughs> now that I've given my extremely long monologue about this, now it's pick grading time. So, Brez, what do you? T- what is your take on this? We take the the home run shot with uh, with Kyra at 14, who you know definitely has his star upside, but a lot of risk factors. I would say that Bain is probably like. A solid RBI double would be my categorization. I think that he, I think he's a pretty safe pick, has a guaranteed role in the NBA, and could hopefully provide some stability to the Knicks this year and provide Tibbs with the, exactly the type of player that he likes. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, so I'll put my... uh my Grant Riller fan club leadership card aside for a minute right now. But my more interesting question for y'all before I give a definitive answer is what, what made y'all pick Bain over Maxi? Well, I think, I think part of my rationale, and this was, I mean, we, we were going over it together, but 
I think after we had taken Kyra, um, like Maxi, like obviously like he holds his own defensively. So maybe it's not as much of a concern, but two guys with like, and maybe I'm talking out of my ass here and Maxi's like bulked up a lot. Um, but two guys with like skinnier body types, obviously we ended up getting Isaiah Joe and that wasn't as much of a concern for us at 30. Um, but I, I think for me, I think maybe, maybe I've just been reading Spencer Perlman's Twitter a little too much, but I, I've just fully bought into the hype on Bain. And, and I just think like quintessentially, like if, if you can get the very best shooter in the draft, who's very, very solid defensively, even if he has a less than ideal wingspan. And the fact that he's like a plus passer too, like just, just sign me up for that. Like I'm willing to sacrifice some late and upside. Um, give me the guy who checks off all those boxes for the needs, all areas the Knicks desperately, desperately need. I, I just think um, after so many like blown picks over the years, like the, the idea of getting a guaranteed dude in a not particularly great draft at the 19th pick is just incredibly appealing um, and, and I just, I, again, I, I just think he fits with literally everyone else on the roster. Yeah, yeah. that was, I, I would say that was probably my rationale too. You know, I, I maybe pushed a little harder for Maxi to at least be in consideration, I think. Um, cause my, my thought was we were going to be stuck with a really hard decision if, if Poku, Bain and Maxi were all sitting there, uh, mm-hmm. to be like, which one do you take out of these guys? Cause they all offer such different potential levels and different roles on your team and whatever. I think ultimately while I, I see Maxi as a potential, a potential guy that, that could offer, you know, a lot more at, if he reaches a ceiling than Bain potentially, I think Bain's like floor is, I don't know. He lives in like a one story home, you know, Bain or like maybe two stories. And Maxi is like a 20 story skyscraper, you know, like it's there's just that difference between them. Like the difference between the floor and the ceiling with Bain is safe and the ceiling is a good NBA player for a long time who will not be stupid, who will shoot the ball well, who will defend capably, who's built like a tank, but like can still guard, you know, guards, but can also guard down because of his, his tank build, even if his, you know, his wingspan isn't quite there. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it was just the safety was appealing after taking, I think, a pretty big home run swing with the first pick with Kyra, uh, going with that safety and the shooting in particular to go with R.J. Barrett, uh, Frank Nilakina with Kyra himself, you know, who's he, he could shoot to some degree, but is no sure thing. I think it would just be nice to have a shooting guard that you can hopefully actually have sit out there and can threes all day for once, which the Knicks have not had in forever, so... Maybe I'm underrating Maxi's potential there, uh, but I think that's where you step in here. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. I don't Maxi's higher on my board. Um, Kyra's, I mean, putting aside like god tier point guard shooters like Dame and Steph, he's pretty much as good of a shooting prospect from point guard as you could reasonably get, like in any class in terms of his just floor spacing and he can do it off the catch and he can do it pulling up and and all of that so from that perspective like part of me would like the the risk is that maxi might only be an okay shooter right not a great shooter and he's also not nearly the passer that bane is um either but at the same time like the upside that he has, like, 
I don't know. That'd be that'd be hard to pass up at at nineteen to because like I'm comfortable taking Maxi at fourteen. Like we talked about, like who's the worst player you're comfortable taking in a trade down situation? That's pretty much Maxi for me among all the guys who might fall to fourteen. So if he fell to to nineteen, I would. But then again, it, it, this is exactly what you mentioned, right? Like it's it's not in a vacuum. It's we already have we already have the quote unquote upside play. So do we just get the guy who's the best shooter in the draft who can do other things and call it a day? Like I I definitely would have zero problem if the real life Knicks decided to pair Kyra with Bane instead of Maxi. Um, but. It's a good problem to have. I don't think there's a wrong answer. And like y'all said, Bain, they're actually a little similar uh, defensively to me in the sense that they're both they're both basically undersized twos who they can guard ones in a pinch and they're both jacked so they can guard threes in a pinch. But they're also not going to really bother the jump shot of threes who are like way taller than them and shooting like seven feet in the air like Jason Tatum or Chris Middleton or any number of guys. So like I do think that they're really they're both really good defenders for the positions they can defend. But I'm probably not as high on their switchability as some other folks on draft Twitter or Nick's Twitter might be. But that's all like nitpicking. They're like. They're fucking good defenders, and they can do stuff. So, I mean, mission accomplished, right? If, if if you guys got that pick and were able to pull that off. And then Kyra and Bain is, like, as much shooting as you could reasonably have for RJ and Mitch. Like, it's just... Like, if RJ has the ball and people, like, help off of Bain and Kyra, that's just automatic, like, RIP. That's just a wrap. Yeah, yeah I was, I was going to say quickly, I, I that's that's where like when I go back to this, I really like the Kyra pick, because if you're if you're looking at RJ and you're saying um, not even from a best player perspective, but just saying um, he, he's obviously like a key component of your future. How do you go and build around that guy? I'm looking for someone who can do two things. I'm looking for someone who can who can space the floor and like give him room to operate. But we saw like when the Knicks like stumbled into like whether it was like a hot shooting night from someone or or just a good lineup. Like RJ got exponentially better when he could actually just attack one on one and he and he didn't run into just like a flood of defenders in the middle of the, of the lane. Um, but you also want someone who can like create and like draw attention off the dribble and like give RJ a scrambling defense to go and attack. And a lot of times, like, especially in a draft like this, if you don't have a top five pick, like, it's very, very hard to find the player who can do both. And, and there's a pretty good argument to be made. Maybe Killian Hayes becomes that guy um, if his, if his three-point shooting catches up to where his free throw percentage was at. But Kyra might be, like, one of, like, the very few players in the draft who checks both those boxes. So I, I think, to me, that was pretty compelling. And maybe, again, if we hadn't taken Kyra, that would have been part of the case for Maxi. And maybe in the real draft, that's part of the case for the Knicks if they end up trading up somehow to go get Maxi. Because he also sort of checks those boxings if, if his shooting um, kind of matches up where it was in high, in high school. Um, but, Alex, do you want to add anything, or do you want to start like moving on to our to our last pick? Yeah, I think we can we can keep the train going here. Uh, there is There is one more deal that I tried to work that did not work out, which I will get to in a moment. Uh, but we'll, we'll just kind of, we don't have to speed round necessarily, but we'll get through here. Uh, uh, so Maxi, who we just had the lengthy discussion about, did go next, which 
you know, that gives me a little anxiety about, you know, if this would happen in real life and Maxi, you know, pops, then in my you know, we'll, we'll look like idiots forever. Uh, but that's okay. We went with our we went with our our board and our feelings at the time. Uh, Cole Anthony goes next to Philadelphia, which I think is actually a pretty likely scenario. Yeah, um, good. Uh, Jalen Smith goes to Denver, which they put in their notes in their trades and notes. Nuggets were trying to figure out if they could give a franchise player to some other team or so, or to a division rival, something like that. Says I, I don't know what that means. I don't know. They were trying to trade uh, Bull Bull or or freaking. MPJ or what their case was. Um, Shades of the Strickland draft, if anybody wants to read another potential failed MPJ trade out of that spot. Uh, And then Robert Woodard goes to uh, Utah, which apparently broke the hearts of the Brooklyn uh, drafters because they were looking to get Woodard with one of those two picks, apparently. Uh, Then... Theo Maladon goes to Milwaukee at pick 24. And then Dallas with their pick from Oklahoma City uh, that they traded down with uh, to get Schroeder takes Tyler Bay. And then Brooklyn with their two picks, uh, which I I think we mentioned uh, a a little bit earlier, to take Leandro Balmaro and Daniel Oturo, which kind of had scratchers there because Balmaro is not a guarantee to come over this year. Uh, but I guess if he does come over, could be a decent fit, but is sort of an upside play. Oturu is, uh, could also be good, but does not project to be able to share front court space with DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen. So kind of a little bit of a head scratcher there. And then uh, the final near trade that could have been, uh, Anthony Irwin from the uh, Locked on Lakers, put out a solicitation saying uh, the Lakers would be open to trading the 28th pick had really weird language with it. That made me think like, Oh, we'll be a perfect trade match. Cause I was like, you know what? Screw it. If I can add one more, like in exchange for a player player, uh, then I'll do it. Cause that's just swapping a roster spot. That's not at trying to add another player onto the roster. So he asked for shooting and didn't care if they made even a, you know, maybe slightly overpaid or whatever because the Lakers are capped out and this, that, the other. You know, you would just had to figure out how to match salaries and all that at that point. Uh, and so I was like, oh, sweet. We have Reggie Bullock and we have Wayne Ellington, which, you know, Ellington's a little diminished at this point. Uh, so I threw him out there as a potential name, but I was like, no, nah, but I really think you might want Bullock, who's, you know, getting paid $4 million, came back, played pretty admirably on a, you know, on his first half season back from a back surgery in the off season. And then, uh, you know, I, I think his shot selection just was kind of screwy this year, but mostly because of what he was being asked to shoot rather than spotting up for three. They had him constantly like shooting mid range, weird jumpers and shit that didn't really fit what Bullock does as a player uh, and, or making him dribble the ball, which is just not a good idea either. Um, so I was like, Oh, this is a natural fit. And then I got rebuffed on that offer and I was like, all right, well, screw you then. Um, so we did not get that trade to go through. So then Toronto, they take Jaden McDaniels, uh, Toronto takes Xavier Tillman, who I will fully admit, I was actually kind of hoping we get to 30. That would have been someone I would have really had in consideration there. Uh, maybe a slightly questionable fit with Mitchell Robinson, but, um, a good passing big, good defender, uh, good pick a role player, you know, stuff like that. I, I thought he could have been a good fit for the Knicks potentially as a backup big. But ultimately, he goes, 
And we settle on, and this is going to make Prez not happy. Uh, we had a choice between uh, our three guys that we were considering with the spot were uh, Grant Riller, who Prez, your uh, card-carrying member, or perhaps the Grand Poobah of the Grant Riller fan club. Uh, and then Killian Tilly was in consideration, a really good stretch four or five who's uh, just has serious injury concerns, shot 40% or better from – uh, three-point range every year in college, which is really impressive over uh, three seasons. Or did he go a full four? At, at any rate, he shot forty over 40% every year in college over multiple seasons, which is impressive, uh, but has some injury concerns. And then the guy that we ultimately ended up settling on, which is Isaiah Joe out of Arkansas. Uh, as Jack Huntley on the Strickland wrote this past week, uh, he is one of the bigger players to ever shoot as well as he did from three uh, over his two years at Arkansas on the volume that he did, uh, averaging almost double-digit attempts per game over two years and shooting around 40%. Uh, So he is a knockdown shooter. We basically decided we could maybe address bigs in free agency, uh, whatever other guards we might need potentially in free agency, but we went shooting, shooting, shooting in the draft, and I felt pretty good about it. So, uh, Prez, I'll, I'll throw it to you to vent about us not taking Riller here and and kill, effectively killing the dream of Riller on the Knicks since we traded out of the second round as well. Uh, so what are, your, what are your rapid reactions to the Joe pick? I have, I have no expectations that Riller will end up on the Knicks because that would simply be too good to be true for me. So... Uh, I've accepted that. I'm very much at peace with it. So uh, it's one of those situations where, like, I, I'm a super huge Isaiah Joe fan. Uh, Jack Huntley's piece hit all the right notes. The guy is a flamethrower. And he actually has some low-hanging fruits for improvement on top of being really good at stuff already. Like, most shooters, like like, he actually didn't shoot as much or as well off movement as you would think, given his reputation. He was only all right, not really that good, but he was extremely good everywhere else, like off the dribble, which is the key thing. The key reason I'm a super big Isaiah Joe fan is he's not just catch and shoot. Um, you, You wish he shot a little better off movement, but like, I'm pretty sure that'll come with him. But the thing that's hard to teach is, is the ability to catch give somebody a quick one-two ankle breaker, step back, and then shoot it. And he can do that. So, like, that's a whole nother dimension. And and with this draft, the way you guys picked, everybody everybody is a shooter, but everybody can also do stuff off the dribble. Even if, I mean, Bain's not getting to the rack or anything like that. And if you ask him to take more than three dribbles, it's probably like, his handle rating on 2K not that high yet, so it'll just automatically come out of his hands. But like he can, he's still a great pick and roll passer. So all three of them can shoot. All three of them can put it on the deck and keep the ball moving, or put it right the fuck back up um, extremely well. They're all three good off the ball. I mean, off the dribble shooters. So you guys have a type, and uh, I'm not mad at it at all. Grant Riller is for folks listening. Um, he's in my top ten, so that's where the jokes come from. I don't know. Talking about real life, you know, putting your job at risk. I don't know anybody 
any GM in the NBA would take Grant Rill the top 10, probably not even top 15, maybe even not top 20, just because you can get him later. So even if you do believe he's that good, why risk it? Um, 30 is the kind of place where if he's on the board and he's very high, you should risk it. So I would have taken Riller. Um, but if the Knicks took Isaiah Joe over Grant Riller, like I couldn't be that mad because for whatever fucking reason, the expectation is that he's not going to be, you know, a top 20, top 25 type player. And Joe has that kind of expectation. Um, and he's really good, so not mad at it. Also, he has, like, a 6'10 wingspan, which is also pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a solid pick. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was going to get at, Prince. Like, whether you thought him and Kyra could play defensively next to each other, but maybe maybe that wingspan uh, partially uh, answers that question. Uh, the yeah. guy... The guy I was really into at that spot, I was making, I was making a case to Alex for killing Tilly. I'm like, the, the more, like, I learn about him, read about him, Totally in love with the guy. Uh, the reason I, I kind of relented on that train is just, again, like the value of having like two very good centers in the NBA. Like, wh- where does that leave you? Like, even like, I'm not I'm not even saying like in terms of their playing style, there's like an obvious comparison here. But another former Gonzaga big in, T- in DeMontis Sabonis, I was just thinking the situation the Pacers have where they have him and Miles Turner and like both guys who can like, um, I mean, like I know Sabonis was like maybe miscast as a spacer in OKC and that's not really the role he plays in in um, Indiana, but nominally like a guy who can put the ball on the floor, like very good passer, like creative um, scorer for a big guy. Turner can shoot threes. Like on paper, that should work really well, but it just, it seems like their best lineups are when only one of those guys is out there. And similar with the Knicks, even if like Tilly, like again, on, on paper, like really good three-point shooter, really, really skilled. Like I, I just didn't see a scenario where like, okay, you're in the playoffs and you're, you're having Killian Tilly and Mitchell Robinson on the court at the same time. So I just kind of felt from a value perspective that wouldn't really work. And Riller, I sort of felt the same way, though. You can kind of make the case. And Alex, I think you mentioned this when we were talking about it a little bit. Like you could you could maybe like say like, all right, like Kyra is your point guard. Riller is your sixth man. And, and to be fair, I, I just haven't done enough research on Riller to like really have a gauge for that. But just intuitively, I was like, does it really make sense to have him and Kyra Prez, I think you would argue yes, just from a pure value perspective. If both those guys are that good and you can get them on 30, you kind of say, screw the fit. Um, let's just get the best players and make it work. But I think Joe was like a good like midpoint um, between value and fit for us. And, and that's ultimately why we made the pick. Yeah, until he's, I mean, if he's healthy, if he's not injury prone, he's a, he's a lottery pick. So like the one thing I'll say about Tilly is, I wouldn't really let the Mitch thing deter me. Not that, not because I would have any grand visions of playing them together, but I think one of the most underestimated things in the NBA is putting out 40 minutes of quality center play. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Lakers can do what they do. It's because 48 minutes of the, of the game, they have a very good center, and they have centers for different situations. Um, the Raptors have done that with, you know, mixing between Gasol, Ibaka, and even sometimes OG. Um, The Nets, who had a top 10 defense because they had Allen or Jordan on the floor for 40 minutes of the year, where they were basically able to have a top 10 defense because of those two guys and Kenny Atkinson making a bunch of horrible guards be passable at defense because they were all very tall and very long arms. So I think 
you know, like Tilly is, I would be thrilled with Tilly at 30, but again, in real life, the medical stuff would probably scare me off and I would just be like, nah, give me the, the young, healthy flamethrower, call it a day. Yeah. The thing with Tilly too, cause I really like Tilly a lot too. And the case that you can maybe make for him there is that, you know, Mitch actually almost works as like a, mm-hmm. uh, a thing to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, Mitch is almost a selling point to drafting Tilly in sort of a weird way because Mitch, I think we could say ideally, you know, if he can get his foul troubles in check and whatever, if he could start turning in 30 minutes a night, you know, and then the Knicks running small sometimes or whatever, I I think that's pretty successful. And, you know, so if he takes 30 minutes, then, you know, that would leave if Tilly is like your de facto, you know, backup center, then that's, you know, maybe you expect 10 to 15 minutes out of him uh, on any given night, you know, and that would get you to that 40 minute mark, you know, that you mentioned, or maybe even a little more if Mitch is having some foul trouble, can only play 25 minutes, whatever. But that's kind of the ideal situation you want to put Tilly in too, because, because of those injuries, you know, it, it might be wise to kind of load manage him to a degree. Don't put him out there and expect him to play 35 minutes a night. Which, uh, you know, a, a lot of people would joke about Tibbs with like, oh, well, he'd get Tilly and he'd run him into the ground playing 48 minutes. You know, but that that's exactly the type of player that, you know, load management and stuff is built for. If he is indeed, you know, fragile like that, but useful in limited minutes, uh, you want to kind of preserve him as best you can and protect him from injury. So, you know, that, that is sort of its own little selling point for getting him with Mitch already on the roster. Like, I don't think it's the situation where it's like... Uh, uh, if you would take Okongwu or Wiseman or something, you know, where you're just like, well, those guys you would expect you would want to groom into a starter. Like, Tilly, you want to groom into a backup. And there's even a scenario where against certain teams or certain lineups, you could play Tilly and Mitch together because Tilly is just such a good floor stretcher that, you know, if you can make it work on defense enough, you can you could play them out there on offense and be comfortable. Uh, so, yeah, it's a... It was an intriguing pick, but yeah, I, much like you, Prez, and you know, like ultimately, Gavin and I obviously came to the consensus on Joe. Uh, although I, I think I pushed kind of hard for Joe because I, I was probably still on the high of just reading that article about him and editing it and stuff. But uh, I was I was ready to take him. I think because I I just think he's got bankable shooting, and the Knicks haven't had bankable shooting in forever, and now they have three guys that can shoot and. It's refreshing to come out of a draft with three guys that can for sure shoot for once. So yeah, I feel I, pretty good about it. Yeah, Alex, I was just going to say, I think it'd be interesting to, to wrap this up, to just think about how they'd fit in the rotation both next year and then going forward. Like, I, I was I was kind of looking at it and saying, like, all right, I think out of those three, like, Bain is probably the one you're, you're looking at starting right away, obviously, depending, like, if the Knicks were able to get someone like Joe Harris in free agency, all of a sudden you, you reshuffle that a little bit. But on paper, with the current roster, I think you slot, like, Bain right in there. I kind of think Frank, maybe maybe I'm underestimating Kyra a little bit, but I think initially, like, Frank or, or maybe, like, a placeholder, like a DJ Augustine, would probably start over Kyra from day one just because, I mean, Kyra's still so young. Like, the dude, like, literally, I think he just turned 19. A couple of months ago, physically probably isn't quite ready to like compete with starting point guards in the NBA. So you give you let Kyra come off the bench as kind of a sixth man, and then I I, I don't know, Prez, you would you would have better insight to 
to this than I would, but maybe Isaiah Joe sort of replaces Wayne Ellington right away as, as your designated shooter off the bench. But just again, like from a team building perspective and like going forward, like it'd be interesting to picture lineups with like all three of those guys and like RJ and Mitch. And like, the question is like, all right, is like RJ like big enough to guard fours in that scenario? Like, do you have enough like creativity off the dribble? And like, maybe that depends on like how much RJ develops and like whether Joe expands his game a little bit, but you you don't really like look at a draft to try and get three starters out of it. Like if, if you get three guys who last on your team for any meaningful amount of time, that's a pretty successful draft. But I, I think it'd be fascinating, like going forward to see like how these pieces fit Um, to Prez's point earlier. I, I do think we did a good job like surrounding RJ and Mitch. Like, I, and I mean, I guess you can question like, are those guys your building blocks? But the good news for the Knicks is you could draft these three guys. They could all be long-term contributors. And then you can go sort of get your alpha dog in next year's draft because none of them, as good as um, someone like Desmond Bain, it's going to be from day one. None of them will demonstrably change the Knicks trajectory next year. So it, it, it would be, uh, my, my point is I'd love to see this play out in real life. It, it'd be interesting to see how this would go. Yeah, I I was going to bring up the 21 draft. Um, I think this this is a pretty ideal scenario. I mean, most of the guys in the top 12 or so are tall, are 6'6 six, six or taller. Um, there's a few guards, one or two, who might crack the top 10. But really, it's, next year is, is all wings of varying stripes and sizes. And none of them are particularly good shooters outside of Cade. There's some... There's some guys who are all right shooters um, and shooting better now than they have in the past, like BJ Boston. But at, once you get out of like the the top two or three, uh, you guys, you, it's mostly wings with who are incredibly talented who can take shots, not really, not really be snipers or anything like that. And these guys could always, because they're all still talented, you want to surround them with shooting. So it still works out. Yeah. All right. So I guess to end things off here, Prez, if you're going to grade our draft, because everything is always about grades and <laughs> A's and B's and F's and whatever, uh, what what grade would you assign to this extremely volatile draft? Where again, I I must remind that we wound up uh, making the most trades uh, of two. Not exactly a ton, but uh, it was us with two trades, another team with. You know, a, a number of other teams with one trade and a ton of teams that made no moves at all. So we, I would say we took the most risks in this draft. Where would you put us on a uh, uh, letter grade scale? At, like, even without being homers, I would give an A um, just because, like, the risk paid off because the alternative was Patrick Williams, who's awesome, and uh, Bush McCall, and the 20, 27th pick, and... I mean, you look at who was on the board, like, yes, GM Prez could have gotten Riller or whatever, but, like, as much as I like Riller, like, having Bane and Joe and getting one of the guys you want, um, that's hard to argue. Uh, so I'm I'm giving it A. Only reason I'm not giving it A plus is because y'all took Joe over Riller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, cost us, that cost us our extra credit. God damn it. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, Prez, this was awesome. Uh, this is probably a two-part episode now. We always like acknowledging that at the end of at the end of episodes that turn into two parts. So uh, do you have... Uh, I, <laughs> I asked this knowing the answer, but do you have anything that you're working on 
that you want to promote, any of your work that you want to promote, and you want to tell everybody where to find you online? You can find all my stuff at the Strickland, uh, the Strick.land on Twitter at Presidente, which is underscore P R E Z I D E N T E. I got a lot of stuff I'm working on, but the thing I'm most excited for is something I have coming out uh, on shooting available late in this draft. This is unbeknownst to many, I think, the best shooting draft maybe ever or in the last 10 years at least to my knowledge and that's not to say a lot of these shooters are going to be starters but there's a lot of shooting and i feel like nobody's talking about it so be on the lookout for that all right well thank you so much Prez, for coming on this has been the uh wrap-up of the locked on knicks locked on nba mock draft uh you can also if this interests you uh which you know probably did you're listening obviously uh, the we did record uh, segments within the Locked On NBA mock draft itself, which they're airing on Locked On NBA. So you can go to the Locked On NBA show, uh, subscribe to that if you haven't already, and then listen through the whole draft where every single host that made a pick and or trade uh, made comments on their picks and or trades uh, to you know get through the whole draft and so you could get the perspectives on all these picks that we roasted throughout this whole time or the ones that we praised and see what the guys were thinking when they did it. Uh, But until next time, this has been Locked on Knicks and we will talk to you guys soon. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.